asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today, we're answering your listener questions. It's Monday, which means it's time to hear from some listeners, Joel. We're going to crack a beer enjoy it listen to some voice memos get back to those folks right here on this episode <laughs> That's right uh, we've got several to get to a listener she's thinking about a career pivot to day trading we're going to discuss who really needs life insurance in fact it is not everybody who's listening to this podcast episode right now some folks can be left out that's right and you know with a market at all-time highs what rate of return can we expect in future years a listener is asking about that uh, as he's trying to plan out his financial future you got your uh, crystal ball out in front so I, I do make your predictions I want to make some good predictions <laughs> <laughs> that, well no there I think there's a lot to say on that front um, and yeah there's just a lot of good stuff to get to on this on this episode before all, we, all that and more before we dive in though Matt to the actual listener questions I wanted to mention something my dad one of my favorite people in the entire world he is I met him he's nice fantastic human he texted me out of the blue the other day and he's like hey thinking about ditching cable and they've had cable a long time uh, oh. just or traditional whatever Uh over the air TV service. Here here goes my opportunity to mooch the occasional Atlanta United match. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Dude, I was way off on how much cable actually cost people. I thought it was drastically cheaper, but with his cable and internet combined, Something like $240 a month is what he's spending. Dude. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. No well, wonder. Sounds like he needs to switch it up regardless. Right, right. Oh, my gosh. The- so he either needs to call in and get a better deal, or oh. he needs to do something different. Yes. Yes. That's a lot of money. So, he's like, I'm thinking about cutting the cord finally. Yeah. And, and uh, w- which direction should I go in? And apparently, there's this new offering from Xfinity called Xfinity Now. 20 bucks a month for the Xfinity Now streaming, and then 20 bucks a month for Xfinity Internet. Seems pretty reasonable. Cutting it from two forty a month to forty a month. Oh my gosh! The, the, That's a massive savings. Dude. Yeah. The only problem is though that, and I was like very much encouraging him to go in this direction, but 
you got to like when you're looking at those different streaming services, especially the live TV ones, some <laughs> the reason they're able to keep it at 20 bucks a month is because oftentimes they have the channels that m- most people don't want to watch. Right. So okay. none of the sports, That's none. A, OK, none typically mm. of the of the news, 24 uh, hour news networks, stuff like that. Gotcha. Is he bummed out about the sports, or what, is he going to be happy with this? That's what we're trying to figure out. I was trying to say, Did he listen, sign up for it? Did he go for it? Not yet. Okay. I, I was like, all right, listen, you should definitely <laughs> get rid of cable, yeah. and you should, and and but you should look into these different streaming services and the live TV streaming services and figure out which one makes the most sense for mm-hmm. you. Our friend Michael Saves does actually a really good job over at his site and on YouTube documenting and helping people think through this exact problem. We should probably have him on the show at some point. Um, but one of the things I encouraged was, hey, you might even want to spend more and get something like YouTube. TV, it's like seventy three dollars a month, but that's going to have that's going to be the most similar to the cable package sure. you currently have. So get but the twenty dollars a month sig- internet, significantly more affordable though, yeah. than what he's. We're been still saying. talking less than a yeah. hundred bucks a month. Then I like it. I like it. Yeah. Does I'm kind of surprised at how much TV. Like I don't know. We watch so little TV over our, at our house, especially when it comes to sports. I don't think there's any family, any individual out there that watches as little sports TV <laughs> <laughs> as this guy right here. But then I also get it because you've just got way more time on your hands. And like what, when you retire, do you think you're going to end up watching like more TV, more sports, more like film? Hopefully just movies. price is right. I'll, I'll make time for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, I think it, it makes sense that it might go up proportionally to however it is yeah. that you're watching TV. But like you see some of those reports about how many Americans consider TV as like a hobby, yeah. which is like that part of it is the part that makes me think, Ugh, I kind of hate how much TV that we yeah. watch. As Over a here, I'm trying to watch uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm halfway through. I've already had two <laughs> sittings. It's going to take me four sit downs to watch this movie. How, where, what is that on? And, and probably a month. Like that's how long it's yeah. going to take me. It's yeah. on Apple TV. Okay. Yeah. So. Did, it's on there with. Did you have to pay for it, or is it is it like a rental? We have like a free three month thing oh, or nice. something. So we're, yeah, and and that was part of the re- that. And I want to watch Napoleon when it comes out, but it's going to take me a month to watch both of these epic, also epically long movies. So. so that's what you got to do, man. Get in there, get your watching on, and then get out. Is Napoleon also going to be on Apple TV though? I think so. And nice. I never have three and a half hours to sit down and watch something, or like <laughs> I just get too tired. Like truly, I fall asleep, and Emily makes fun of me, but well. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I've also gathered that that's a slower one. It's yeah. I've heard good, but also a bit slower. I'll so. report back yeah. when I finish. Let me know if it's worth it. In March or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's just a good tip to, tipped out there to folks. If you currently have cable, it's worth being willing to cancel, asking for a discount. How much are you actually watching TV? Yeah, and, yeah, and, and what it, can you get by without? I mean, it, And even, reassess how much you're paying. And even just the digital, uh, the digital antennas, man. You can get so much... I mean, I'm just shocked at how much TV we get for free yep. via our Samsung. To be completely honest, I don't know how these channels are. Like, we get Bon Appetit. We get, like, cook. We got all these cooking channels, like, multiple cooking channels. And I don't know how we get them. We're not paying for anything, and we're plugged into the, the little box. And yeah. it's when just amazing how much TV, content that you get the, over some of the, the newer TVs. When you click on the live TV thing on Roku, I'm just shocked at, like, the many yes. hundreds of channels it looks like you get. I usually stick to the basic Just ones to few. turn on an NFL game or something like that which like once a year <laughs> when I watch a football game but for the most I mean, it's amazing how many channels there are and totally if you're agree. into digging through to find the gold you might you might be able to find stuff you're interested in watching I think it's worth it alright man uh, the beer though that you and I are going to enjoy during this episode is called a Color Decay this is a dessert sour another beer by Piedmont Brewery down there in Macon Georgia we will enjoy this one and share our thoughts 
at the end of the episode. No doubt. All right. If you have a question, we'd love to to hear from you. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask for simple instructions. Basically, you're recording a voice memo, sending it over to us via email so we can hopefully take it on the next Ask HTM episode. We love to get your questions and take them on the show. Uh, Matt, let's get to the first one. This one comes from a listener who's wondering, well, wait a second, my advisor's telling me returns aren't going to be as good as they've been historically. Are they way off base? Hey, Joel and Matt. This is Spencer in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I have a question for you guys. I just met with my financial advisor the other day and in making projections for retirement, he suggested that we project somewhere about 6% returns for my portfolio overall. That raised an eyebrow a little bit for me because um, looking back at the stock market, and I just looked at this just now, but between 1970 and 2000, the stock market produced closer to like almost 11%. So I, I questioned him on that, you know, why are we projecting so conservatively? And I get that part of the issue is that we want to project conservatively <laughs> so that my money lasts. But it, it also seems like it may be overly conservative. Anyway, he said something that his perception is that it's related to the fact that so many people are invested in the stock market now because all of us have sort of been forced into managing our own retirements through 401ks. And that kind of doesn't track either because even when we had pensions, that money was being invested somewhere. So what gives? Why is it that we expect lower um, returns on the stock market moving forward? than we've seen in past decades. Thanks for what you do. Um, love, love the program. Um, listen to you guys all the time. Feel like it's making me a little bit smarter and more confident as I move toward retirement. Thank you. Bye. All right, Spencer. Indeed, what gives? This is a, uh, a great question. By if, the way, I love that he's smarter and more confident. That's like, that's what we want, man. That, that's the goal, truly. <laughs> want to boost that confidence. Yeah. That's true. Okay, so what I really like on the confidence front, though, is that he's meeting with his financial advisor and that he's actually pushing back in a healthy way. Yeah. Like, Spencer, you are being skeptical in the right ways. You are informing yourself. You are asking good questions. And it's not that a relationship with an advisor should be adversarial, but I think way too many folks hire an advisor and they just completely kick back. Like they think of it, they think of it like a like an Uber ride, right? Like <laughs> they put the their headphones in, they check out. They're they're staring at their phone, staring out the window, and they just wait to get to their destination. But this is your money, and hiring an advisor should not mean handing over the reins completely, in our opinion. So I appreciate the questions that you're asking. You yeah. are taking steps in the right direction. Yeah, it makes me think of if you start investing in real estate and you decide to hire a property manager. A lot of people think, oh, cool, I don't have to think about this at all. I make the purchase, hand it over, and boom, I'm going to make profit year over year. And this is going to be a great thing for building my portfolio. And maybe... Maybe, but when you hire a property manager, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook for any sort of responsibility about what happens to your property. It's still your property. Yeah, you yeah. still need to be informed and you still need to be asking the right questions. And it's okay to hire a property manager. I finally did that recently, Matt, for a couple of my properties. But it doesn't mean that you then don't have to think about it and that it's completely off your plate. And on the subject of expected returns... This is a great question, and it's well worth talking about, because I think this is something that people see headlines about, people see predictions about, even from 
awesome investing firms that Matt and I recommend regularly. There's their research arms that are looking into this and that have takeaways about what's likely to happen over the next five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. The truth is so much depends on what you're invested in, right? So Spencer, let's say you're invested in a target date fund. Well, then those projections could be fairly realistic, right? You might be invested a little more conservatively. It so much depends on how your funds are allocated. And depending on the funds you own, your advisor might be correct. If you're almost exclusively invested in, let's say, though, a total stock market fund or an S&P 500 fund, then those projections could be a little bit low. We're certainly not anti-target date fund. It's just that for folks in the wealth building phase of their lives, that route, going that route is going to reduce volatility, yes, but it's also going to reduce returns over the long haul. And that is why we typically encourage folks to invest 100% in equities, especially if you're in your 20s and 30s. And and oftentimes in those early 40s too, as you're really like funneling money in, you want to see, you, you want to have more exposure to the asset class that over the years has produced the highest returns because you have decades after that exactly. uh, to kind of overcome any sort of downswing that might occur. Yeah, it's about how long it's going to be before you have to tap those funds. But by the way, Spencer, like your, your financial advisor, he's not alone in projecting reduced returns in the coming years. So Joel kind of mentioned some of the different, some of our favorite brokerages. And they oftentimes make these projections every single year about what they think the next year, the next decade even is going to look like. And Vanguard in particular, they've said that U.S. equities are likely to return between 42 and 6.2%, which is even more meager than yeah. what it is that your financial advisor has, has predicted. Vanguard is more bearish than your financial yes. advisor. And will that actually pan out? Will that come to fruition? Like Again, we don't know. The folks over at Schwab, that's another great brokerage to go with. They've made similar projections. And Vanguard, they also predict that global equity returns will actually be a good bit more robust within the 7 to 9% range. And evidently, that's because uh, it's likely that valuations on U.S. stocks are pretty lofty, they're pretty high, and they're a bit depressed on the global side. Mm. And so basically, zag well, everyone else is zigging. Uh, and so while things, they do tend to get out of whack from a valuation standpoint from time to time, reversion to the mean is something that we typically see over time. And so that has a lot to do with why a lot of, uh, you know, quote unquote, smart people are saying that, hey, you may not want to count on as uh, high of a rate of return from your investments in the coming years, yeah. but when, how, and like how much of a reversion we see that actually depends on so many factors though and you know you were talking about pulling out the crystal ball Joel that's literally what it would take and obviously none of us truly knows the future yeah, so broke it's last tough week. to make that call I would have brought it in for this episode but mine's gone no I think it's you could do a similar thing with the housing market Matt and you could say my goodness from 2009 to 2023 housing prices increased in at an incredible rate mm -hmm. and so at, at some point like should I bank on that continuing? Probably not. Uh, at some point, you start to see housing prices, the price of a home, uh, and the increase in the price of a home far outpace the increase in average wages. And at some point, that becomes unsustainable. So similarly, I wouldn't assume that if I bought a home, that it would appreciate in a similar way that homes have appreciated over the last 10 years. There is going to be at least some of a reversion to the mean, despite kind of the housing shortage that we sure. still have in this country, right? And so, okay, what does the future hold for the US and global stock market? Well, in the short term, we have no clue, right? In the six month to one year, to three years time even, there's not much I think that your financial advisor can offer you in regards to what you should expect or that we can offer you. Long-term investing though, staying put for decades, is what gives us the largest chance for success. Mm -hmm. And so are we going to see reduced market returns from 2024 to 2054 for the next 30 years? I guess my answer would be a big fat 
maybe um <laughs> which probably isn't very comforting spencer doesn't really give you very much here but i think historical return data can tell us a lot but it also doesn't tell us like the whole story and so higher current valuations are something to at least be aware of but reported earnings from u.s companies in particular have continued to be really good so i guess i'd sum it up this way i would say planning for slightly lower than historical returns would be wise and if your portfolio outperforms expectations consider it icing on top that's right. You know, what's another thing that's interesting, too, is the fact that the way Spencer talks about his financial planner, because he said my financial planner, it sounds like he's got a relationship with his financial planner, yeah. planner, which makes me think, do you know how it is that your financial planner, your advisor is being compensated? Because that could be another part of the, another piece of this puzzle where some of those earnings are getting siphoned off a little bit. If this and is somebody that, their management fee. Yes. If it's AUM, then truly you might be paying 1% of your total investments towards this uh, towards this advisor. And so that's something worth checking in on. And, and it's not to say that there I mean, there are plenty of assets, asset under management models where you've got somebody who is really smart and they're really looking out for their clients. Uh, but you can also do that for much yeah. cheaper with a fiduciary fee only advisor. And so that's that's just a, a small warning flag that's worth raising. That's when, a good point. When you hear that. I feel like yeah, the advisor that could be, be baking some of that in a sure, little bit. The advisor the could returns. say, well, probably returns are going to be 7%, but minus my fee, 6%. So right? You can expect to see 6%. And that is why like, we're not completely against the hiring a fiduciary financial planner who has the assets under management model, but you just have to be aware of it. And we prefer the paying per hour for advice from a financial advisor. It just, the, mud, the waters are muddied a whole lot less. Totally. And the other thing too is, I didn't, I didn't really get, his advisor was saying that, hey, there's a lot more folks who are self-managing, and so you can expect to see smaller returns over like in the coming years you mentioned housing earlier too but you, given the fact that it it's it's almost like we are in a housing crisis where folks do not have the ability to force themselves to save via equity uh via their home which is a, a traditional way that not saying that it's good but that is has been the reality over the past several decades there are a lot of folks who aren't doing that and so yeah. you're thinking man i've got all this cash on hand what do i do with that you funnel that into the market That's right so if you're trying those, to be smart with it some of those people who are renting longer than they would hope are probably I doing bet, more investing. I bet they've got way more dollars invested in the market yeah. than their parents do. And that's what we would encourage them to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what should we do given kind of, okay, historical returns say that the stock market returns, what, something like 9.6% over the last 100 years, over the last 50 years, even in modern investing, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, and, and of course, we can't control stock market returns. The biggest things that are in our control, though, are how much we invest and what we invest in. And so if Vanguard and your financial advisor are right, it might make sense to try and increase the percentage, Spencer, that you're able to stock away into those retirement accounts if you're investing 10% of your money, hoping that you're going to have enough for retirement. Well, even just 2% more into your 401k over the years is going to have That's a significant right. impact, raising it 1% this year, 1% next year, 1% the next year. All of a sudden, pretty soon, you're investing 15, 17, 18% of your take-home pay, and you're not experiencing a massive decline in your lifestyle because of it. And, and so yeah, and that's that's something you 100% have control over how much yeah. it is that you're investing. You don't have control over what it is the market is doing, but you have control over what it is that you are setting aside yeah. into the market. And I think some people would hear prognostications like this and they would say I need to get riskier <laughs> with my investing in order to ensure that I am not in this vanguard bucket of 4 4.2 to 6.2% returns over the coming decade. If I juice those returns, then I'm more prepared for retirement. And I would just say that's a scary route to take because you're at that point you are you're taking more of a gambling approach. So much of it comes down to what you can stomach. You're going to be uh, subjected subjected to increased volatility 
if you go in that direction. So we would say opting to own a diversified basket of mostly stocks is a worthwhile move, even if it means you're not going to get the highest potential returns. Uh, and you, you might want to even consider adding more exposure to the global stock market, kind of like Matt, you referenced there, just given cur the current valuation disparity. I get that too, as a strategy, having some sort of international stock. And if you're looking for a single fund that would help you do just that, get US exposure and world exposure, but be basically wholly in stocks, Vanguard's Total World Stock ETF is a great one to look into, and that ticker symbol is VT. Pretty simple. VT. Not Virginia Tech. <laughs> Vanguard Total, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the whole world. Yeah. Or you can just root for the home team, USA. Yeah. <laughs> Go with the S&P. But uh, Spencer, we hope that gets you thinking through some of the, the right things. And again, you are asking the right questions. But Joel, we've got more to get to, including we got a question from a listener who's got a hypothetical $10,000. We'll get to that plus more right after this. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances so if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest they are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. All right, Matt, we're back. And there's a lot more to get to on this episode. And we talk about a lot of different 
aspects of people's financial lives. And the truth is, not everything we talk about applies to everyone. That's true. And this question really comes straight out of that vein. Hi, Joel and Matt. This is LT from California. Thank you for what you do. Your show is great. You guys are really down to earth. I have a question. I don't have children, not married. Paying for life insurance, term life, that is. Do I really need it? Thanks. All right, LT, she got right to the point. <laughs> Do I need term life insurance? By the way, LT, we appreciate you listening. But life insurance, yeah, this is a great question. And of course, if you were to ask a life insurance salesperson, they would probably say yes. <laughs> it's kind of like, like a ha- hammer nail scenario. Yeah, it's like uh, you go to the store, any store, whatever it is they sell. You need what it is that we have. Like <laughs> go to the like a golf store. Do you need new clubs? It doesn't matter. How old, how beat up your current clubs are, the answer is going to be yes. Oh, of course. There's this new titanium technology that's going to send your golf ball 20 yards further. Actually, the tungsten steel that's right. uh, driver it sends it an extra extra five yards. I know you spent two grand <laughs> two years ago, but it's time to update your set. Uh, but we have always said that life insurance exists specifically for income replacement. And so what that means is that if nobody depends on your income, right, you've got no spouse, you've got no kids, well, then life insurance isn't really all that necessary. So the the TLDR is no, this probably shouldn't be on your financial to-do list. Yeah. Uh, And again, Matt, you're right. I think a lot of people would say life insurance is a necessity for almost everyone. But no, there is a certain segment of the population where life insurance just doesn't make sense. It doesn't need to be an expense. And really, who are you insuring at that point? Who are you leaving behind that needs coverage, (laughs) right? Um, In in case you were to pass away prematurely. Let's elaborate just a little, right? Because there might be other reasons potentially, though, why someone in your position, LT, would choose to take out a life insurance policy, even if they're not trying to replace their income for dependents, right? They might want to make sure other loved ones are taken care of or that their future funeral expenses aren't a burden to parents or friends. Sure. And and that life insurance policy, it really could serve that purpose, but it's also just not a necessity, right? So take the formal life insurance route. You don't have to get like a half a million dollar policy to cover funeral costs because it's highly unlikely that your funerals typically cost that much to to have a funeral. And the truth is there are other ways besides life insurance to save and protect your loved ones for that potential eventuality yeah well those dollars would just be better funneled into your savings account or like or just into investments instead of paying for a an outlined product some something it's like it, this is a very specific tool it almost makes me think of like uh getting a special tool in the kitchen right like there's all these different gadgets when in reality maybe you just need like a good chef's knife that is the high yield savings account i, uh, I gotta say i still love the infomercials that try to sell me those things because <laughs> sure. i'm always like oh that potato spiral thing like look how well i can smash this garlic with incredible <laughs> with this with this tool and those it just goes to show how good of, a, of salespeople those folks are because i always like kind of sort of want one, but I never buy them. Exactly. Yeah. And your excess savings, your investments, it should help cover any sort of expense after the fact that some folks in your life might be faced with, like uh, funeral expenses. But just because you don't have life insurance doesn't mean that you're dying destitute, most likely. Like, you're going to have some money on hand. And, you know, we're not talking about huge dollar amounts on that front. Like, generally speaking, $10,000 should be more than enough to cover, like, the, the, the average funeral, the cover the cost of a casket, a burial. And it can be done for a good bit less than that as well. It doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be something where you're forking out five figures in order to cover uh, funeral costs. Especially if you go the cremation direction, it's a whole lot less than kind of the traditional burial route. But you're right, Matt. And, and, and there are sites now, too, that help comparison shop for burial costs. There are funeral and memorial societies locally that help to reduce the cost. So 
as long as you have savings and investments on hand, you don't necessarily need some sort of massive life insurance payout to help your loved ones you know, bear that cost totally. Uh, if you were to pass away. Okay, so another scenario where getting life insurance might make sense, even if you don't have kids or if you don't have a spouse. And and that might be a scenario where you might be insuring a business partner. And yeah. so, Joel, for... I literally was just thinking were, about Were that, you thinking yeah. about that? Like, there are some instances, and I think about this and what it is that you and I do, because there have been times when I thought, should I get an insurance, a life insurance policy on Joel? Because if you were to... And then kick, kill him. <laughs> well, A, it would obviously look super sus, right? Well, <laughs> gotta wait like six months dude even then man i don't think there's any period of time that you could wait where joel fell down all, the flight of all stairs of, all of a sudden who could have seen that I'm breaking, coming you know i'm cashing in getting a million dollar check that folks aren't <laughs> like hmm wait a minute yeah <laughs> but again does it make sense to do that Ugh. insurance companies allow you to do that like you can basically insure pretty like almost anybody as long as they know as long as they approve and that you can and that you can prove that you have an insurable interest, basically that your life, your income would be impacted by the death yeah. of that person. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the, the best path forward. And I guess it shouldn't necessarily be obvious, but I've decided not to do that because, again, there's other there's plenty of other things I could do than carry on with a podcast. And I, I wouldn't be able to do that because I, I wouldn't have a be- best buddy anymore. So I guess I'd maintain the site. You have to go to your number two. Maybe get some other guys to, to take over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is true. Like, that's something that you and I have actually had to have discussions about. And I can see why it would make sense. But you and I have also opted not to go in that direction. Yep. Um, and let's talk about term life insurance for just a little bit longer. Because for folks who do need life insurance, that's the best and the cheapest kind to get. Totally. We almost never recommend any other kind. Whole life uh, is too expensive and it's insuring you for longer than you need because the goal is to reach greater and greater levels of financial independence and need less and less life insurance in your life over the years, over the decades. You want to insure yourself during the years when you're building wealth and then let that wealth you built up be your own version of life insurance decades down the road. Yeah, at a certain, like you're working up that hill and at a certain point, you what know what? The bull, the, little Stranger Things for everybody. <laughs> When's that new season coming out, by the way? I don't know. I don't know either. But at a certain point, it kind of levels off and it gets a whole lot easier to yeah. push that. But then at some point too, you start going down the other side and the ball just takes off and without any effort at all, you're moving. Think about how much progress you can really make in 30 years when you can have a term life policy to cover you, let's say from 35 to 65 or 30 to 60 and all the debt you can pay off all the investments you can make all the forced savings if you buy a home and you're paying off that mortgage as agreed every single month that kind of stuff allows you to and really it meets the term life insurance meets your insurable need but it doesn't go beyond that costing you extra unnecessarily i I think i saw that the average policy for a female who's 30 years old is around 40 bucks and that's for a million dollars and for 30 years, which is... And a million bucks might be more than people. a lot of people do. Yeah, that's that's a ton of money. It's, it's a little bit more every month for uh, for dudes out there. But again, that's for the average policy, and it can be a lot more affordable if you are super active, if you are a fit person. If you just mention CrossFit in your life insurance <laughs> application, I believe you get 20% off. But I think there might be some folks who push back on, you know, and hearing me say that, and they're like, 50 bucks, dudes, that's actually, a, that's a chunk of money. Yeah, but compare that to whole life insurance where you're paying hundreds of dollars a month. It is often a drop in the bucket compared to what it is that you're paying for term life. Yep. All right. And for people who do have dependents, a spouse, kids who depend on their income, term life really is a must have, Matt. And I I had to kind of, for a long time, I put this off. I put it off longer than I should have. And, and at some point, you just can't avoid it any longer. We've got an article that explains like how much you should get and how long of a term you'll likely need uh, and kind of how best practices for buying. We'll link to that in the show notes. But do a little research, then start shopping, because term life gives you the peace of mind and it actually protects your family 
in the worst case scenario. Um, and, but again, for you, LT, going back to your question, not even our favorite term life policy sounds like a necessity in your case. There are just better things you can do with that money. That's right. All right, let's get to our next question. And this is from a listener who is asking what he should be doing with some money that he might have. Hey, guys, this is Riker from Wyoming. I have a hypothetical question for you. Let's say that you had $10,000 and all these situations would say 6% interest. So would it be best to put the money into a CD that would earn you 6% versus paying towards a home loan that's at 6% interest or paying towards student loans at a 6% interest? I don't mean for this to be a should I invest versus paying down debt, more of a what would provide the best benefit for your money. All right, Joel, it's time for a thought experiment. You ready I love for this? these. No, I love this. Uh, <laughs> it makes me think about like Monopoly money. If I had unlimited amounts of Monopoly money, what like, would you how, do? Would I, how would I use it? Yeah, no, I think a hypothetical question can, can really help give a lot of insight to kind of how we should proceed in certain scenarios. And this is a really good one because <laughs> I think there's a lot we can learn from it, actually. So, Riker, I love that you submitted this one. Thank you. I think it can shed light on the nuance of money, on some of these yeah. gray areas that you and I, we do talk about, but maybe not quite to the detail that it might be needed or might be helpful. So um, the different reasons we might choose to do one over the other based on a few different approaches, let's talk about that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, first of all, though, let's get nerdy with it. Let's talk about the math, because the truth is, Riker, if you've got, in his case, you say $6,000, or he's got mm-hmm. $10,000 just to put towards a bunch of different things uh, that might earn him 6% or might save him 6%. But the truth is, when it comes to some of these different scenarios, they're close, but they're not exactly equal. So when you earn 6% on your money, let's say in a CD or a savings account, you're going to get a 1099 INT stands for interest, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so you're going to pay tax on those earnings, uh, meaning that the real rate of return isn't truly a full 6%, even if that is what the headline rate is that you see when you're, you know, when you log into your account there. Uh, so in that case, if we're purely looking at the math, we're only looking at the numbers, well, paying off debt that carries a 6, 6% interest rate is going to be better than keeping that cash on hand and earning 6% on it. But then again, uh, some debts even come with tax advantages like mortgage interest deduction that you can itemize if you itemize your taxes instead of taking the standard deduction. And so like these are some of those nuances on the math side of things that are at least worth knowing. And it's at least worth considering as you're trying to figure out and maybe tweak and optimize for the absolute best thing that you could do with that money. So you mentioned like multiple variables already (laughs) when it comes to Mm -hmm. taxation on earnings or when it comes to tax deductions for keeping certain debt in your life. That's also not a great reason typically to keep debt in your life. And the truth is on the mortgage interest deduction, something a lot of Americans think they're getting it, but they're not because they are taking the standard deduction. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to keep my mortgage around specifically for the tax break. Tax breaks typically minimal people like overinflated in their minds, and many of them are getting it anyway. Um, totally, but it is also also worth mentioning something else, Matt. There's something known as opportunity cost, which is always there in sure. personal finance, right? So you mentioned the math side of the equation, but when you look at the opportunity cost of paying off that debt, it's also important to take that into consideration. It's not purely a uh, dollars and cents discussion and saying, oh, well, wait a second, if I if I keep this money in my savings account, I am going to pay a little bit in tax uh, based on the earnings that I get. There's also real value in having a nest egg of cash on the sidelines that goes beyond maybe that little bit of taxation that you would experience. It can prevent you from taking on worse kinds of debt in the future or something awful, awful to happen to you, right? Like if you lost your job, instead of having to start purchasing stuff 
on your credit card that you can't pay off, those excess savings dollars can be used to help you get through that tough time. So I think sometimes people, if you're thinking pure optimization, there was an um, article from our friend Jack over at Young Money recently talking about how he was trying to hyper-optimize his finances and he uh, didn't actually keep as much cash on hand as he should and it got him into a squirrely little financial situation costing him money. We'll link to that in the show notes. But that is the kind of stuff it can feel like an opportunity cost of having cash on the sidelines to not being able to earn as much as you could putting it in the market. But there's also the other side of the coin, the other opportunity cost where not having enough in cash when you actually need it can mean that you have to take on even more nefarious kinds of debt. That's right. It's, it's the potential for what that money can keep you from having to do in the future. Uh, but let's say you pay off your debt, you get a 6% return. Well, that's not a bad thing. But it also might not be the very best thing, and it could mean that you say miss out on other opportunities that could come along, like the opportunity to invest those dollars and potentially earn more at some point in the near future. So we're just talking about how having that money on hand can keep you from making bad decisions. Well, what about the ability to do potentially better things with that money? And so right now, let's, it's, let's say it's earning 6%, but you might have, let's say, a real estate deal come along that could reliably earn you eight or nine percent, which would then be an even better use of that cash. So basically what we're saying here is that cash on the sidelines that isn't getting crushed by inflation is an asset that has the potential to do something even bigger and even better than it's currently doing. And if you pay off the debt, well, it's got no opportunity to potentially do that bigger and better thing off into the future. Yeah. You just never know. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And that is the trade-off that you make. And so that is why we we take a nuanced approach uh, to debt on this show, much to the chagrin of some people who think debt is the best way to finance their financial future. And other people who think debt is the worst thing that could ever happen it to you. It just depends, man. Debt is a great area that needs a, a lot of thought. And it's very personal in nature. And some kinds of debt can actually help set you up for future success, but always done in moderation, right? That is something sure. we preach when we're talking about drinking craft beer, but also when we're talking about how you, uh, you, know, how you think about debt in your life. Totally, man. And there's a reason, Matt, that a company like Apple is holding on to so much cash because that liquidity oh, equals yeah. flexibility. Let's say there's a company out there that they want to buy that they think ultimately is going to make them a much better company over the next few years and allow them to reach more consumers, make more money. Well, if they don't have the cash on the sidelines to, to make that purchase... That's not a merger and acquisition that's going to happen. That's right. <laughs> but simultaneously, though, the, the, like there's winners and losers on both sides. Or I'm sorry, I should say there's winners on there's winners on both sides. Like it makes me think about reading Shoe Dog. Ah, that's Phil Knight's memoir. One of my um, favorite business books. Basically, the rise of Nike and how he did all that. And what's fascinating, obviously Nike, they succeeded. <laughs> so much success <laughs> over there. With Nike, or originally it was uh, Blue Ribbon Sports, was, right. was the name of the company initially. But a recurring theme is the fact that they never had cash on hand yeah. because they kept taking any profit and plowing it right back into the business to the chagrin of everybody, including Phil Knight and everybody else that worked there. But they were just well, they had to keep getting bigger loans too. In they were order constantly to stressed. Fund the growth. And man, they were like living on the edge, like they were on the precipice constantly. And that is something that they could have completely done away with had they had more cash margin. And so it, yeah. a lot of it comes down to what it is that is more important to you. Obviously, we're not talking about they business. They didn't have venture here. capital back then in the well, same way. Way, yeah, right? what we're talking about is you as an individual. Think about running your life like you would run a business and thinking through, well, what do I want to optimize my life for? Like, what are my goals for me as an individual? What do I, what do I want my days to look like? And then you can start making decisions based on that. Because let's say you picture, picture yourself being an investor. Maybe you, you love reading about Warren Buffett and his billions and all the different companies <laughs> that he invests in. Well, chances are you're probably going to keep around a mortgage. You're going to maybe even keep around some 
medium size interest rate debt because you're plowing so much money into the stock market because that's important to you as an investor. That's who you want to be. But if you're somebody who prefers simplification and being able to pare things down, well, you, that individual for that person, they might find that for them, paying off a mortgage, even if it's a lower interest rate mortgage for them is the absolute best decision. It just yeah. comes down to what you want your life to look like. Oh, you're exactly right. And that is, that is what we always, that's why we have to give like these full-throated answers every single time, because so much of it depends on you and how you're going to react. And uh, for instance, somebody doing a balance transfer credit card, we always have to talk about how that can be a win if you are disciplined and dedicated to paying off that uh, that credit card debt within that that zero percent interest rate time frame. Mm-hmm. So the same thing is true here, right? As long as the money isn't getting consumed, as long as the cash isn't burning a hole in your pocket, like keeping it on hand while things are kind of break even is a okay in our book. Like not paying off the six percent interest rate debt and keeping that money in an account bearing six percent interest can make a whole lot of sense. But if having that cash on hand, if it starts to make you think, eh, maybe we should take that trip <laughs> that we hadn't actually budgeted for because we've got extra savings on hand, well, then we would rather see you put that towards the debt. Totally. When we make proactive and strategic choices with debt, I think we can build wealth e- even faster. Matt, we, this and this isn't a Matt and Joel signing off on using as much debt as you want or using the crappiest no. forms of debt. Nope. But it is, hopefully, uh, and, and if you want to like a whole episode on this, you go back and listen to episode 637. That's an episode where we, we brought on a guest to talk about specifically that, using debt to your advantage. It's possible. You just have to be careful in how you do it. You got to be smart about it. All right, man, we've got more to get to. Specifically, we're going to tackle the question whether or not you can day trade your way to riches. We'll get to that right after this. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances so if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations 
get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. All right, we're back. We're still taking your listener questions. Matt, I was just thinking about like old school mascots uh, recently. It's, you know who I kind of miss? I don't watch TV, so I don't... The Taco Bell <laughs> Chihuahua. Come on. <laughs> he was one of the best, right? Um, uh, yeah, it was a classic. Well, another good one was the E-Trade Baby. And the E-Trade Baby, <laughs> I think, made a whole lot of people think that day trading was cool. That's what this question's about. This one's from Lorna, and she said... I've always been an invest and hold person. Now I'm at a career change and am interested in possibly doing day trading. Does anyone here do that? So that was in the How to Money Facebook group. That was in the Facebook group, which yep. is just a bunch of lovely people not, who who would never shame Lorna over this question. Um, but that's just not what How to Money listeners are typically into because Matt, that's not what you and I are typically into. But let's talk about day trading for a second because I don't know that we've actually dedicated much airtime to talking about that in general. And so. We have talked about the perils of single stock investing, which is one thing. That's still a very different thing because you might say, listen, I believe this and this and this company or this sector is going to outperform because, like, for instance, I mentioned artificial intelligence earlier. I would understand why you might think that investing in AI stocks is going to outperform over the next 15 or 20 years. And if you have a long-term view, you might outperform your peers. Um, But there's a big difference between having that sort of conviction about a sector, like I said, or a couple of individual stocks that you're really passionate about than day trading. So day trading is typically done with the desire to make a quick buck off of daily or weekly stock market gyrations. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're not big single stock dudes, but day trading is a far worse option in our opinion. It is much more like gambling as opposed to looking at an industry or looking at a sector. Uh, But there are a couple of things to note here. Uh, One, when you trade stocks regularly, even if you make money, well, you're going to pay more tax on the earnings because you're not going to qualify for the advantageous capital gains tax rate. Uh, so you, you kind of come out on the short end of the stick at the end of the year from that perspective. Not just to mention how how complicated your taxes might be. If you're if you're trading that much... It does get a lot more it, it, complicated. You might be you're paying your CPA a whole lot extra. Well, that's like all the folks who were doing stonks that's during right. the pandemic, and they get that, that statement from They, they get a 137-page Robinhood <laughs> statement, and they're like, oh my gosh, this but, is going to take a while. But then on top of that, making money day trading is just really freaking hard to do if it was that easy i think it would be something that everybody is doing (laughs) and so i guess at the end of the day here what we'd ask you to do is just to think about what your motivation is for trading on the reg like that and if it's to build wealth more quickly and we certainly understand that desire but the truth is it's likely to have the opposite effect it's incredibly difficult to day trade and this is just to maybe juice your returns or maybe have a little bit of extra money on the side. But if we're actually talking about maybe even making this a career choice or like a career pivot, I think it's even it's even more fraught. Yeah, I couldn't tell if she was saying that she's going to pivot her career into day trading or she's like just pivoting in her career. And maybe just during this interim, this is a way to make some extra money. Either way. Either way, though, it's not like it's just something that you pick up and start doing. It's not yeah. like I think a lot of times folks are equating it with like picking up gig work on an app where it's just like, you know what? 
was thinking about doing some day trading, but instead <laughs> I'm going to go maybe do some task rabbit yeah. or, or vice versa. It's Those like are not no, interchangeable. <laughs> no, this isn't something that anybody can do. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people who sell courses who might say that they can teach you to day trade successfully. The truth is, if those people were day trading as as successfully as they're purporting, they wouldn't need to sell a course to you because they'd just be crushing it. They wouldn't be into the content, course, management, publishing industry. They would be making millions and billions. They would be taking out as many loans, uh, cheap loans as they could, and investing uh, and getting rich themselves. That's how you would do it. Instead of trying to sell you something. And the worst thing I think that can happen to a day trader, typically is having an amazing day or an amazing week. It starts to make you think that you've got this thing figured out. Ah, mm. easy money, baby. It's kind of like going to the casino. You put it on black. Boom, it lands on black. And you're like, all right, this rocks. The truth is, Vegas or wherever it is that you're gambling, they go and get their money back. Mm-hmm. That's that's just how things work. That's how the odds are stacked. And that often, Matt, that success, that instant success can often lead to hubris, to pride that costs you even more over the long haul. And there aren't really very many good stats on the failure rate of day trading. There's just not much, I guess, uh, self-identified day traders <laughs> maybe aren't a dime a dozen. And the people who are willing to be interviewed about how successful they've been, um, I think maybe they tuck their tail between their legs <laughs> and they, they you know walk off in shame and they don't necessarily subject themselves to those interviews. But from everything we've read, only 5 to 20% of day traders consistently make money. And I would even say that, that 20% would be massively overwhelmed. It's probably closer to that 4 to 5% yes. side of the scale. <laughs> that, that's what I would imagine. So Investing in the stock market, we always say this, is not gambling. But day trading, hoping to make money on daily market shifts, it is gambling. Mm -hmm. So over the long haul, the stock market is a weighing machine. But if you are trying to make money overnight, you're putting those dollars at risk. And those dollars would be better off put patting you in during this career change or invested for the long haul. So there's just so much info that you need in order to day trade successfully. You have to have the ability to process it well and just so much patience to even have a chance at success. That's why we're all about long-term wealth building, low and slow for the win. Mm -hmm. And if you do opt to go this route, Lorna, uh, don't put more money in your day trading account than you can afford to lose. We want you to be able to sleep at night. And the truth is- 5% or less. The more you put at risk, uh, the the, the more you're frightened about the outcome of a specific trade it's weighing on you it's going to impact you mentally in a meaningful way yeah so i was talking about how it's almost like asking whether or not you should pick up a new hobby or not like day trading is just something that you can easily just choose like another scenario is is sort of like choosing to be a world-class athlete like (laughs) like if you're asking whether or not you should be the next usain bolt you probably aren't going to be the next 100 (laughs) meter world record holder like you either have it or scouts watching you in middle school yes like you would just know that this is something you should be doing as opposed to like almost consciously making a decision if you have to actively make a decision as to whether or not this is something you should do that should be an indicator that this is not something that you should be doing. it's always amazing the smartest best investors in history who often look for value companies that they can improve and improve their bottom line because of it thinking about somebody like warren buffett their recommendation is to go the passive route and not attempt to go the route that they have gone because they yeah they know they have special talent because they know how the sausage is made yeah. as well because they I mean they've dedicated their life to doing this the the quantity even at his old age that Warren Buffett reads on companies I, I mean that is literally all he, he he does that and he plays bridge right <laughs> like that is all he does so there's no wonder he has a special knack for it yes and to, but just kind of like oh, I think I might pivot into day trading now it's probably going to end in misery.
That's right. Uh, nice. All right. I feel like we dedicated uh, more than usual to investing, but it's good that we did. We're able to talk about some it interesting in, ones on investing. In, yeah, in some ways maybe that we haven't talked about investing recently. But uh, let's get back to our beer. And during this episode, we enjoyed a color decay, another beer by Piedmont Brewery. Joel, what were your thoughts on this one? This was uh, smooth vanilla and chill berry vibes. Chill berry. Yeah. All right. It's like that berry is coming through, but it's not like. It's not smacking you in the mouth. This is a really laid back sour. Yeah. But we haven't had like a really good berry sour in a while. So good. I loved it. Re- yeah. So I'll say as I poured it, man, it poured like this super deep, dark, like a ruby red kind of color. Almost like yeah. purplish. It was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, really pretty. But then, yeah, it was nice and tart. Nice fruit kind of coming through. But it also wasn't overly sweet. And I think a lot of times if it fe- like tastes too fragrant. Like that might be where the berry, where it feels like it's kind of beating you over the head with it. It was real subtle. Yeah. Right. Uh, but more than anything else, uh, the one word that came to my mind was Captain Crunch, Crunch Berries. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it had, and That's, I don't know, maybe. That is multiple words, by the way. That, that, that <laughs> but it had the it had the berry flavor going on, but it kind of had like this weedy, vanilla-y backbone, I guess maybe that you get with the milk. Yeah. Interplay with the, 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 the cereal, perhaps. But uh, this isn't a wheat beer, but in, I don't know. In my mind, it, it totally it was Captain Crunch Berries all the way. I can totally see why you said uh, that. Yeah, definitely enjoyed it. Yep, and that is kind of fun in beer form every now and again. Yeah. So, all right, Matt, that's going to do it for this episode. For folks who are listening, we'll have copious show notes with links to some of the references that we mentioned in this episode up in there, up on our website at howtomoney.com. And if you haven't signed up for the How to Money newsletter, we'd love to have you join. It comes out every Tuesday morning. So, you know, if you sign up today, you'll get it in your inbox tomorrow. That's right. And you can go find that at howtomoney.com slash newsletter, obviously free, uh, chock full of helpful information to help you continue doing the right stuff with your money. That's right. And if you enjoy it, leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, because those reviews truly do help other people to find our show. It's just you're t- talking about the stock market and it being a weighing machine as opposed to like a voting machine, essentially, is sort of the other way of looking at it positive solid reviews over in the different podcast apps is a weighing machine and yeah. it does make a difference for but sure we appreciate all of you who have already done that and buddy i think it's going to be it for this one so until next time best friends out best friends out It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.